if we know anything about our listeners, you want it fast and you want it now. So Whoa. here you go. The highlight of the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> 2017 Sundance Film Festival. Here, why watch that? We're going to deliver you a bang for your buck. We're going to give you highlights of the, our favorite movies and some of our not so favorite movies. Mm. Interviews with celebrities, with filmmakers, with the decision makers, along with some of the highlights from their Q&A. That's right. And everybody, for even more of this, don't forget to check out whywatchthat.com. Check us out on SoundCloud. And of course, download on iTunes. What are you doing Do if you're not doing that? <laughs> Golly. Well, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why Watch, Watch That. Presented by Dynamic Network. So why watch that talk? Let's start with Ghost Story, which stars the amazing Casey Affleck <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> Rooney Mara. Yeah, that- Rooney Mara. That's right. Who else do we have in this? Well, that's basically it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. And um, it is directed by David Lowry, who also wrote it. Um, there we go. Now this, take the title literally, Casey Affleck plays a man. He's married to his wife, Rooney Mara. We see them living, but there's something going on in their house. Is it a ghost or something else? Uh, Casey Affleck dies. He comes back as a ghost. He haunts the house. Oh my. But it's not how you think it is. This is not a horror movie. It is not a thriller. It is not a suspense film. It's none of that. It's just him literally standing there watching Rooney. Things progress and things change, everybody. So you have about 87 minutes of this. About half of it is just him standing there watching. The rest of it, you will not believe what happens. So here's what the critic has to say. This will test the patience of most of you. But if you have a quirky sort of sensibility and patience, it might give you something toward the end where you go, wow, I didn't see that coming. There's a ghost story. Moving on, Roxanne, Roxanne. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, yes. Some of you are like, Roxanne, Roxanne. You mean that Roxanne, Roxanne? Yes. Roxanne, Roxanne, which is directed and written by Michael Larnell. The cast, Mm. a very familiar Mahershala. Ali, Nia Long, along with Shante Adams, Mm-mm-mm. Elvis uh, Nolasco, Kevin Phillips, and Chanel Edmonds. This was nostalgic, to say the least. Oh, it was. Now, everybody, if you know Roxanne Shante, that's who this is about, a uh, hip-hop pioneer. So we're in the 80s, and this is a biopic. It is her life story. So we see her as a kid, and she's the Queensbridge uh, champ, and, and, and that's a uh, freestyle champ. So we have this wonderful scene with her mother's play by Nia Long. She has her best friend who's a hype man going, the champ is here, the champ, champ is here. Is here. <laughs> so we skip forward to when she's a, a teenager. The question is, can she stay in school or not? Because she's making money as a freestyle rapper and 
by doing other things. Other are, things. Uh-huh. So we progress through. She has a relationship with her mother that's strained because something happens to her mother and the family that is utterly devastating. And then things take a turn. She ends up being involved with an older man played by Mahershal Ali. Uh-uh. Yeah, she's not even legal age. But she bursts onto the scene with a response to that song we just said, Roxanne, Roxanne, which really leapfrogged her career. But there's so many struggles in her life yeah. uh, that happen. And we see that. And she also... Uh, was a catalyst for other careers. So Yeah, let's to, leave those surprises. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. going to laugh at that. Exactly. So if, if you know 80s hip-hop, if you know that era, this movie is really, like the ref said, going to be nostalgic and very entertaining for you. If you're not quite sure, uh, it will it may be a little difficult to pick up on exactly who's who. Um, but for me, ref, I just enjoyed watching it. I just enjoyed being in the theater and knowing who these people were and going, oh, this such and such is coming up and so on. So totally. I have to echo all of that along with the costumes were hilarious <laughs> to look at. It's a little bit of what's love got to do with it in some aspects. <laughs> I sure <laughs> is. Oh You'll my see how that works out. We also got to see Beatrice at dinner. Whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody hold my horses. <laughs> it's uh, directed by um, Miguel. Um, come on, say it. Do it for me. Arteta. Yes, I love it. Along with screenwriter Mike White. That's not quite as interesting to say. <laughs> it stars Selma Hayek, John Lithgow, along with Connie Britton, and some other wonderful, amazing actors. It is very interesting. Beatrice plays an immigrant who is from Mexico, who is a healer. Yeah, that's Selma Hayek. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, Sam, Selma Hayek. So Beatrice. Selma Hayek <laughs> plays Beatrice. Yeah. Um, she is a healer. She heals people with her hands. She's a masseuse, but she also um, deals with not just the ordinary patient, but patients who are dying of cancer and at their deathbeds. I mean, we're talking there's nothing left. Yeah. And she's able to bring some back and some she doesn't. So she has to deal with that. She also is a very sensitive human being who's, sen- who's sensitive to animals. Yeah. And when animals are dying and she has goats living in her uh, bedroom as well, along with several <laughs> dogs. Yes. And one of her goats dies. Mm. And she's carrying the weight of the death of this goat. But she has to keep on working, and she visits Connie Britton, who's preparing for this big dinner um, for her husband, who's bringing over work friends as they're celebrating this new victory um, that is a victory for them, but not necessarily a victory for the environment, per se. And then you have Beatrice, who's in the middle of all this because of her car trouble. She has to stay, and the night gets really, really weird because she doesn't quite fit in, and you have to see exactly how she doesn't. She is a protester, a bra burning, train yourself to a tree kind of girl. And John Lithgow, who plays this tycoon, is probably the cause of most of her woes. That's right. (laughs) And they're back and forth. I'm telling you, this is everybody. You have what you expect. They're sitting at the, the table at dinner and going tit for tat. So those parts of the movie, which is the bulk of it, I I just found so entertaining. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I know the end for both of us didn't quite do what we wanted it to. But for me, I really enjoyed it. I did. And I like Mike White, the writer. I like his work. He did 
co-create uh, Enlightened, which was on HBO, starring Laura Dern. So it's that kind of uh, sensibility. You got to see uh, the awesome Crown Heights, which was highly anticipated here at Sundance, directed and written by Matt Ruskin, starring a very familiar cast, at least one of these guys, you yeah. know, from Atlanta. I'll let you go through that and give us your thoughts. Yes. So it stars Keith Stanfield, who is the friend in Atlanta, the wild, crazy friend in Atlanta, along with Namdi Asamoa who was a former great NFL player. He also produces here and does a good job as an actor. Uh, we have Natalie Paul. We have Bill Camp, who was in The Night Of as a detective. What? Nestor Carbonell and Amari Cheatham. So this is based on a true story about two friends and it's set in 1980 to begin with. In 1980, one of these friends is falsely accused of a murder. Again, based on a true story. Dun, dun, dun. He is imprisoned, okay, for I think it was 20 years. Wrongfully imprisoned. But the thing is, he will not take a plea because he says, I didn't do this and I want my name to be cleared. It so, sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Very familiar. And he's played by Keith Stanfield, his friend who works throughout the decades to get him released. I mean, trains himself in the law, etc. is played by Nambi Asamoa. And we see how both of their families are affected because they have families with children, wives, and, and it takes a strain on both families. So in the end, you know what happens. Yeah. But you know, watching the, the plot points bit by bit and knowing that this man didn't do this crime really is devastating. Um, so that's the gist of Crown Heights. As the ref said, it's very familiar. You can predict what occurs. You've seen this kind of film before. But I think that the message, the story, is strong enough that you definitely should check it out if you get a chance. And I know that the audience has really enjoyed this one. Here's the Crown Heights Q&A from Sundance. Welcome back to the Q&A. My name is Hussein Karimboy. I'm one of the programmers here at Sundance Film Festival. Uh, back to the stage, please, the director, Matt Ruskin. A couple of people I want to introduce to you guys. First, my producer and partner in all of this, um, whose commitment to this film was unwavering from day one, the enormously, enormously talented Namdi Asamoa. We have a very special guest here. I want to introduce Carl King to you guys. Alright, uh, I'm going to go straight to the audience, I think, for questions. Let's, just, let's get to the heart of this. The question is how I found the story, what drew me to it. Uh, via a mutual friend, I got First From Matt, a five-minute documentary piece that he made on the film. Um, I was blown away. Then I got the This American Life piece, um, the radio piece, blown away by that. After that, I got the script, and it was a wrap. <laughs> Woo! That's, that was that was how I initially got involved, and then I went to obviously my manager, asked her if she could see if I could audition. Met, let me audition, and got the role. My name is Carl King. Thank you, Sundance, for having me here. <laughs> Thank you, audience, for believing in films like this, which could make a difference. Because I realized that. These issues, as far as social issues, is 
really hard to come by for a producer to get funding. Because 12 years ago, we had an option with a Warner Brothers studio. Two options. It ran out, they didn't do anything. So, as far as these issues is concerned with social justice, um, I would say that in Colin Warner's case, he was my childhood friend from Trinidad. We drew a stronger bond when he came to New York. Found himself in a situation where he was wrongfully accused for a crime he didn't do. At that time, I knew he was innocent because at that time when he was supposed to be committing the crime, two of my friends were with him at that particular time. They were also his alibi witnesses, which they went to the precinct, they gave statements stating that they were with him. But for some reason, they were never charged. So after that, Colin was indicted, and it just keep on going on where there was a trial, he found himself with a co-defendant. He never knew in his life. He never knew the descendant, the victim who was actually, um, he was accused for killing, and also the witness. So at that time, I was 17 years old. I mean, came from the Caribbean a few years ago. Colin's parents had no money. We came to, my parents came to the U.S thinking there's a better life as far as improving their lives, as well as the kids. So when Colin got arrested, I knew he didn't do it because of my two friends who were with him at that particular time. So I thought at that time, it's a mistake was made as far as, you know, the wrong guy was pointed out. So at that time, as I said, I was 17. I thought there would be a trial and in between that process, he would have been clear, somebody would have said, listen, something went wrong. Unfortunately, he got a co-defendant and he was tried, convicted. So at that point, I knew nothing about the system as far as how could we challenge to make a difference to get Colin exonerated. So throughout the years, I was thinking, how could I make a difference? I was supporting him by visiting, visiting him in prison supporting him in every way I can. And I was seeing the pain he was going through because he kept telling me all he was reading at night is transcripts and brief that he killed that particular victim on such time and place. And how could nobody realize that there was a miscarriage of justice done? So at that time, throughout the time, I say how could, I was telling myself Retaining attorneys might have been the, the, the key to having somebody looked at, get a second look at the record. So I started raising funds and we retained attorneys and we had appeals where he was denied and time came up for parole after 15 years, he was denied. So after a while, I realized that we have to look into this case as to go back from that April 10th day in 1980 and see what actually happened. Actually, we were trying to recapture the scenes to put it in a motion form because all we were, we were denied before based on the appeals, which they just 
it was based on legal technical stuff. So just they just wrote a brief and denied it. So at that time, as I said, we realized that we have to take this situation into our hands and reinvestigate the case and bring back newly discovered evidence. And we were fortunate to do that. And um, 16 years ago, Colin was exonerated. And I hope you guys excuse me, because speaking about it, it just bring back the memories. It's good, but it's kind of emotional speaking about it. Thank you guys for listening. But what I want the audience to know, that ordinary people can make differences. Once you have a cause and you realize that it's a cause that worth it, sometimes we look outside for others for help, which we need help, because unity is strength. But within ourselves, we could be our own leaders, and that's the position I took. And whoever had a hearing, that was a lot, meant a lot to me because I would tell everybody about Colin's plight. So what I'm saying, we all could make changes. And these injustices on every level, we can get together and certainly make differences. So Colin's case proved to me that ordinary people can make big differences. Once you believe in a cause and you pursue it, perseverance and the outcome was freedom in Colin's particular case. Thank you guys for listening. Okay, one last question. Yes, sir. Uh, there's a scene early on in the movie where Colin is inside of the, uh, you're all talking together. He talks about moving back or leaving the states to be part of a political system where people like him. And I was curious, after all of these events, was that conversation ever revisited or did he ever think about or talk about leaving the states, and if not, what was it that was important for him to stay? That's, are you talking about when he was exonerated? Yes. He just wanted to leave New York in particular. Yes. <laughs> Currently in Georgia where, you know, there's a lot more space and he feels a little more free. Because when he came out for the like two years we were together almost every day and he would, when he see a cop car, he would actually be, you know, scared. So he, he did have, at that time he had to kick, take off and leave New York just to get away from, you know, the environment. Um, look, we're out of time everybody, but, but can I just say something yeah, real course, quick? Course, just sorry. please support the cause and follow us socially. Um, we're at Crown Heights MOV. Just Anything that you can tweet or get out socially about this, we're just trying to help get their story out, and we're also trying to help those that are also wrongfully incarcerated and their families, just to continue to give them hope that they can come out. We caught up with Alfre Woodard at the premiere of Burning Sands. You actually spoke to my mother. You helped her campaign for Barack Obama in Iowa. Oh she was on my. a lot of your conference calls. Oh and she my. Was, she's like, if you meet her, tell her I said thank you. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're excited about the movie. Um, we're totally fans of your career. Um, so what drew you to this particular role? And how do you feel about the whole hazing experience? Well, you know, the role 
It serves a purpose in the film. I wasn't drawn to the roles, particularly. I was drawn to to be able to work with Gerard. You know, I love filmmakers, and when you when you meet a, a new voice on the scene that you know is gifted, and it's exciting because you're going to have the, the chance to watch them unfold over over a career. So I wanted to be in on the ground floor. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you have you do you have any experience with uh, sororities or uh, you know my sister and all of her daughters are all in sororities. I went to Boston University uh, back in the seventies. Uh, all tons of my friends that I lived with were in sororities and frats. Uh, I'm an artist, and I think artists aren't joiners in that respect. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we already have our, our sisterhood and brotherhood. And we're also not the kind of people uh, that can be, you know, sort of regimented into things. Yeah. So it's not a good combination. However, uh, I, I totally respect and understand what black sororities and fraternities have meant in terms of our culture his historically and 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 how the, the movers and shakers of of African community, you know, that's where they got their bonding and their networking and they've gone into great things. So I understand and I respect it. But I'll tell you this little thing. I was um, the Miss K A side Kai chapter <laughs> in nineteen seventy four because I had a, a bunch of friends that were Kappas and yeah. you know I hid them and helped feed them and <laughs> run, you know put them in the closet when the brothers are coming and stuff. So they, you know it was a, it was a big coup because everybody went. Whatever it is that Kappa Queen, <laughs> but you know but again that just shows you that you know black people always. We don't, we don't recognize borders, yeah. we don't recognize yeah. those divisions, and so, yeah, I'm just, I, I just wasn't a, I wasn't a sorority type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and why watch that? We always end our interviews with this question. What are you watching right now, Alfred? I haven't been home in so long. What am I? <laughs> What am I watching? Well, I'm watching all the screeners for for the Oscars. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'm watching the screeners and those nominations. You know, I'm gonna let me just yeah. say this. Uh -huh. I really love Julieta. They didn't oh, talk about yes, that much. No, I love Julieta. Almodovar, yeah. And all and the women in it. I love them and I love that film. Yeah. And of course, I always love Fahardi. Yeah. Yes, so that's We're speaking our language. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. Sure. We appreciate it. And Thanks, uh, happy voting for the Oscars. And yes. Ah, so you. nice to meet you. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.